0: the voice of condemnation the voice of shame they're both a liar it lies to you through other people and from within your false self this voice is never from God Do you desire that which is truly good, life-giving and transforming? Follow the voice of truth, the voice of the Father. He calls you away from condemnation and away from fear. He leads you into your true self in fulfilled relationship with Him. The Spirit of Christ in you. We're going to look at that and then look at how that works out in our lives relationally. So there is the spirit of Christ in us, and then there is the connection that we have with the Father through Jesus. The spirit of Christ in you, first of all, sets you free. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's an underlined verse if you still have a paper Bible. (laughs) And I would imagine there's a way to highlight them if you have an online Bible of your own some way. But just remember that verse. Post it in your heart somewhere on a a post-it note in your mind. You are not condemned anymore because the world manufactures ways to condemn us every day, constantly. The memories that you have from, from the past, from your family, from friends, from school, from work, from situations, from traumatic experiences, from mistakes, from failures. There's countless ways in which the voice of condemnation, the voice of shame comes to you and tries to rule over your heart and your life. That voice, those accusations never come from God, never, because there is no condemnation in Christ, and that's the power of this verse, and it's one of these truths that we need to embrace and to draw life from, but it's not easy. It's something that we can know right here and, and see with the eyes of our heart. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's good. Yes, I want that, Lord. Help me because the voices are still kicking my butt, knocking me down every day. And I think, for, I think this is a battle for all of us in one form or another. And it's a battle that we, that we can have victory in. We need to believe that. The picture you see on the screen um, in, in the backdrop there comes from the film, The Passion of the Christ. And this particular scene is the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and was literally thrown at the feet of Jesus first thing in the morning in Jerusalem. And the accusers didn't really care about that woman and her alleged sin. They were more concerned about trying to trap Jesus in his words to to discredit him publicly. And once again, they thought they had him because no matter what he says, he's doomed. They said, Lord Jesus, you are a great teacher and we caught this woman in the act of adultery and according to the law of Moses, she is to be stoned to death. Should we start? What should we do? If he says, yeah, go ahead and throw the rocks, she's guilty then the people that are following him, these sinners and and, and the regular folk will look and say, wait a minute, he's just like them. And he'll be, his his image before them will will be tainted. But if he says, you know what? No, no, let her go. This is no big deal or anything like that. Then he'll say, well, you're no rabbi. A true rabbi would uphold the law of Moses. So they had him, right? Jesus always has the best answer. And he looks at that crowd of angry men and says, the one among you that's never sinned, you can throw the first rock. And one by one, beginning with the older men, scripture tells us the stones began to drop to the ground and they walked away until they were all gone. John chapter 8 verse 10 picks it up and it says this. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go and leave your sinful life. We are not condemned. Another passage from John is when he met with a Pharisee named Nicodemus who had some honest questions and From that passage, we get the the most quoted verse, I think, next to the the Lord's Prayer in in all of Scripture. And and that that is John 3.16, which is an encapsulation of of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Great verse, stands on its own. But the next verse is powerful as well. 3:17 says this For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him So these scriptures remind us from from Romans 8 and from a demonstration in that story with this woman to 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 John chapter 3 verse 17 and and others we could point to where Jesus is not about the business of condemning and shaming By the way, the difference between shame and guilt is this, guilt tells us, and guilt is to a certain degree is is necessary, okay? Guilt tells us that was wrong, that, that thing you did. And you know it's wrong and you need to own that. Like I'm responsible for that lie that I told. I am responsible for taking something that didn't belong to me. I'm responsible for saying that hurtful thing and, and that person I hurt, I need to make amends. So, so that, that sin that I did is wrong. Shame says you're wrong, you're bad, you're bad to the core. And that, that's a, an important distinction to understand, which is why shame, condemnation is not from God. Jesus didn't come to condemn you, so don't condemn yourself either. And I think many of us, self-included, the the biggest voice of condemnation doesn't come from around me, it comes from within me. It comes from inside my heart and regrets and pains and fears and... And, and things I wish I had done differently, things I wish I had said, things I wish I wouldn't have said. And the list, if I let it go, can be endless. If I let that voice rule my heart, it will just keep adding things on and never stop. And so when I bring all of myself to Christ, and this is always important to think of this connection through Christ with God, as, as all of you, not just presenting your best self. now present your worst self. Say, Lord, this is me too. All this junk, all these accusations. And then find out which one he's going to accuse you, which one he's going to reject you, which one he's going to condemn you or, or reject, reject you because of that. None of the above. But it takes courage to do that, and that's an ongoing process for us. So the spirit of Christ in you sets you free from condemnation. And it also provides a new mindset. Back to Romans 8 at verse 5 says this, those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. For those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. We need a different way of thinking. We have to uh, rearrange the patterns that go on here between the years. Paul writes about matters of the mind, matters of thought, frequently in his letters. Familiar passages like Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he is encouraging us, urging us to be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Go to Philippians chapter 4, around, around verse 8 or so. He has one of those many lists that Paul has in his letters. And this time, it's about the things we should be thinking about, the things that should occupy our mind that which is true that which is noble that which is right that which is pure among other things so the way in which we think is vital and one one test i guess you could call it that is is to to see how how effectively you are walking or living in 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 the the pattern of christ with the mindset of christ is that question, is your life at peace? Because it says there in the sixth verse that the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So, is my life at peace? All of us have various challenges that we're facing probably right now to different degrees. But at the end of the day... And I think quite literally at the end of the day. What's still occupying your mind before your eyes close and you go to sleep? Peace. Are you at peace? And not just with God. Perhaps there's a person that you need to be at peace with. Or to find a way to to work toward that peace if that person is willing. If you are willing. Sometimes they're not. Are we at peace? peace with God are we at peace with others and the more peace you are experiencing that is a sign an indication a result that you are taking on the mindset of Christ more and more in your life or to say this another way as one of my favorite authors Kurt Thompson says this Uh, Kurt is a he's a neurobiologist And he's also a a brilliant scholar of the Bible. And he brings those two worlds together in in, in just amazing ways. And and so he'll he'll talk about like one of the books that I think one of his first ones was called The Anatomy of the Soul. And he he talks about brain science and the Word of God. It's really powerful. But one thing he said in that book was this, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Kind of step back from yourself and think, okay, what is really occupying my mind right now? And what is consistently and perhaps persistently occupying my mind in both positive ways and negative ways? And, and that is the beginning of understanding where the challenges are, where, where you need to focus, where you need to redirect those thoughts. The, 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 the patterns that we have don't disappear automatically. We have to bring in the mindset of Christ in order to change the patterns that are, that are not good. So that's what the, the mindset of Christ does for us. It helps us to have a life... That is at peace. And then also the Spirit of Christ in you reminds you that you belong. Verses 9 through 11. Now as I read this particular portion of the Scripture, listen for the word if. I-F, right? You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even your body is subject to death because of sin. The spirit gives us life, gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul isn't using the word if there to create doubt. It's quite the opposite. He wrote this to a group of followers of Jesus, who he already knew, although he hadn't met most of them yet, he hadn't physically been to Rome yet, he knew about enough about this church to know that while they're troubled, while there is division in this group, especially between the Jews who followed Jesus in that church and the Gentiles who were following Jesus, they were at odds with one another, and that's a, a big point of this whole letter. But all of them he knew followed Jesus, and because they followed Jesus, they have indeed the Spirit of Christ. So when he's asking if, it's not to create doubt, it, it, it's kind of like a reminder. He's using, he's using rhetoric, rhetoric, rhetorical questions. He does something similar in, in Philippians, it's even, even more clear. When he writes to Philippians, which was a wonderful church, and they were very, very passionate and dedicated. This letter was a joy by comparison to most of other Paul's letters. So he, he says this in Philippians 2, 1 and 2. Again, that word if. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... And make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Paul isn't suggesting that these people don't know what tenderness and compassion and love and unity is. He's saying, you have this. So stay on course. Become one. Talk to the kids about being on a team. Sometimes the uh, the, the, the coach on a team one of their uh, important jobs is, is to help the struggling player. So let's use baseball. I like baseball. So one of one of your players is um, having trouble at the plate, and and they they've they're a good hitter and you've seen them hit well, but the last couple of games they're they're they're, they're striking out. They're frustrated. They're they just can't seem to to hit the ball anymore. The coach can go to them and says. Well, you know, you have hit before. You can do this if you're a player. You're a player, right? Yeah. And if you got to hit, what, a couple weeks ago, you remember I got that double and a key moment at the end of the game and the winning run score? Yeah. See, you got this. That's what Paul is doing here. He's not questioning whether or not the Spirit of God is in them. He's saying, if you have Jesus, you have the Spirit. And... Don't doubt that. Hang in there with that. And so, those are reassuring ifs in in that passage, if anything. But the Spirit of Christ in you needs something, something much more tangible and relational in order to take effect in our lives. And God knew that. And so, how is that Spirit connected? with us simply this you are God's child you are God's child and because you are his child then first of all follow his lead verse 12 to 14 says therefore brothers and sisters we have an obligation for it is not to the flesh to live according to it for you live according to the flesh you will die But if by the Spirit you live, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You are His child. You are led by Him. Now, we're going to talk for the remainder of this this time together this morning about um, the the father-child relationship. Now, if that's hard for you, if you grew up with a difficult relationship with your father for whatever reason, uh, maybe an absent father, maybe a hurtful, even abusive father, then this is harder. So if, if it's not your father, then think of someone as a child that you looked up to, uh, mother, grandparent, uncle, some, aunt, whoever it was that, that, you, that you really loved and admired as a child, okay? So if you can take a moment from your childhood and think about that you remember positively, A a, a memory when you were a little boy, a little girl, where there was an adult in your life, a family member, a father, perhaps, who was leading you and helping you and with you. You're always going to cherish that. Rightly so. When I was about six, I had my first experience at an amusement park. And My dad took the whole family to Dorney Park in Allentown. And it was nighttime. So that just made the experience that much greater. I had never been there before. I had never been to an amusement park before. My my older siblings told me about how cool it was gonna be and all the fun I was gonna have. And I, I was jumping out of my skin to get there. And we pull into the place. And from the moment you drive onto the lot, my jaw drops open. I'm just in awe and wowed by, look at this place. Look at the lights, and there's things spinning around. And then you get out of the car, and you, and you hear noises and, and laughter and, and, and screaming. But it wasn't like frightening terror scream. It was fun screams. And, and then you get closer, and there's smells. There's popcorn. And, and then you can hear noises that I'd never heard before. Like one that was kinda it was kind of loud. It went tick 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 tick. Whoosh roller coaster. Isn't that great? Now, I was too young to go on one at that point, but just to watch it happen and watch my older brothers and sisters on it just wow I was just sensory overloaded as a six-year-old boy. Now My dad led me there. My dad led my whole family there. Why did he do that? Because he wanted us to have an enjoyable time together. He wanted each of us to have a really great experience together as a family where we're going to smile and we're going to laugh and and, and we're going to talk about it for a long time to come. And here I am 50-some years later still talking about it. So it worked, Dad. Thank you. That's just one but you see what my father did there? He, he led me. He led me out of the car safely. I, he knew I was going to be just glued on the lights and the sounds, and I wasn't going to pay attention to traffic and other cars. So, so he takes me by the hand like that silhouette picture there and, and makes sure I'm okay. And then plus you get there an amusement park is, is generally a crowded place so he doesn't want I me mean, to get separated and you know lost and have to look for me. no parent ever wants that of course. and so he's guiding me. he also has in mind the whole family so while I wanted to go over there and go on that ride or get that, um, that snack, that cotton candy or whatever it was, my siblings also wanted something else so he has to balance all of that so we have this this collective good experience so we make the most of our time so we're picking rides to go on and well let's not go on that one now that's at the other side of the park let's do these first then we'll get to that one and, and there's all this negotiation going on um boy that gives me a headache thinking about it as a dad now that was a lot of work <laughs> but it was worth every minute it was worth every dollar he gave us a good experience give your Heavenly Father that much credit for wanting to lead you to good things, to good experiences. And sometimes you're going to resist His hand because you're distracted and you want to go this way and and your Heavenly Father gently tugs, no, we need to go this way, Paul. I have something better for you over here. You're not ready for that right now or you don't need that or that's dangerous. The voice of God tugs at our arm. The voice of God calls to us and says, you know, come on over this way. Here's the the better path, the better plan. That's what the voice of God does. That's when we follow His lead, we continually um, learn that. And then also, you are God's child. You don't need to be afraid. Verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves, that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. By the way, when you see that in Scripture, and it's not that often, honestly, um, Paul chose to use that specific word, Abba, Father. It is uh, the Greek equivalent of daddy. It's the the most intimate, honest expression that you can have for father in the Greek language. So he's basically saying, God, our daddy. Father can sound domineering and um, perhaps controlling, again, depending on (laughs) your experience with your own father. And it's good and and, and contains respect, as it should. Daddy is much more approachable, isn't it? Daddy is, more, you're more at ease. You, you, you feel safe in his presence. You feel safe when, when he is around you and you don't have to be afraid. Our greatest fear is separation. Our greatest fear is being alone. Condemnation tells you, you're going to be away from God now and forever. Condemnation says, you're no good. And no one wants you, no one likes you, and, and, and when you follow that voice, that's where it leads, eventually, to complete isolation. Think back to Adam and Eve when in, the, in the Garden of Eden, when, when they first succumbed to sin, what was their first reaction to get alone, to get away, and isolate and that's the tactic of the enemy of our souls to, to isolate us rather than keep us in community, keep us in connection, keep us in relationship. And that's what God wants for us. And so the fears that we have are often related to condemnation and shame. And when you believe what God says in his word from Romans 8 1 that there is no more condemnation in Christ you can begin to let go of other fears as well because which of those is greater than that which of your fears and there's always going to be some in our lives in this world but they don't have to control us they don't have to grab and hold our hearts and another thing that I remember about that same age you know, six or seven years old, I was petrified of thunderstorms. Anybody else with me? Maybe even now, I don't know. But <laughs> Okay. When I was little, I, I, I like them now, but I, I, I was afraid. And so when a thunderstorm would come in the middle of the night, me and usually my little brother, we'd hightail it down the hallway and jump into mom and dad's bed until the storm was over. And <laughs> and they were wonderful about it. And, you know, storms don't generally last that long, thunderstorms, and so We'd be there 10, 15 minutes, whatever it was. And then, okay, it settled down now. You guys go back to bed. And, but then when I was a little older, and I wasn't so quick to run to their bed. I was still afraid. And I, you know, tucked my ears as tight as I could, put the pillow over my face. I didn't want to see the lightning. And I didn't want to hear the thunder. I just wanted it to be over. One of the things my dad did to help me overcome that fear, and this wasn't the only reason we did this. It wasn't just for me, but it helped me. When there was a thunderstorm coming in the evening, it was still early evening, but it was dark outside. He'd say, "Hey everybody, let's go out and watch the thunderstorm." Now we had a, an old farmhouse with a with a, a a porch across the front with pillars and a roof over it so that we weren't going to get wet. And unless it was, you know, wind-driven rain, we weren't, you know, it was it was safe to be out there. And so we would sit there on the porch watching the lightning, listening to the thunder. And that, that helped me overcome my fears because I was still kind of afraid and I still cringed when the lightning came and the loud thunder, but my father was with me and that made me feel safe. It made it feel okay. Imagine your heavenly father sitting next to you in your fear. Imagine your heavenly father helping you to face your fear. He's always there. He's always with you. You may not acknowledge it. You may not turn to Him. You may not pray to Him. But He is always, always there. And the reason He's always there is there's no reason for Him not to be. He doesn't condemn you. People condemn. People separate. People um, shun and isolate. But God doesn't do that. He is persistently with you. And that's what the last of these tells us, that that you are God's child deep inside. You know this. Verse 16 and 17, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. These persistent reminders... That, that, that God is with us, that word that was so special to me when I shared with many of you were here um, when I talked about my cancer battle this year and, and how that word Emmanuel, which means God with us, uh, became so powerful to me that he's with me in this fearful episode in my life and continues to be God with us. At Christmas time, we like singing the, the familiar carols, and one carol that when I was when I was a kid, I very quickly associated with little kids, and I th- I didn't want to sing that song, you know. I, I'm I'm beyond that now. I'm grown up. I don't have to sing that one. That was a Away in the Manger, mm-hmm. and then um, in recent years, I've, I've I've come back to one of the verses of that songs. That song, Away in the Manger, it says this. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to be with thee there. There is so much beautiful theology in that little verse. Be near me. It's not that he left, it's that I have to be reminded. Close by me, Lord. Close like my dad in that porch when he's got his arm around me when I'm shaking because there's lightning and thunder, but it's okay. Picture Jesus with you, the Father with you, when you're afraid. He is near you and he doesn't go away. And he's with those that you love because he loves them too. You are his child. Believe that. Draw life from that. Draw relationship from him and the depth of that. Because the voice of condemnation, shame is, shame is a liar. It lies to you lies to you through other people and from within your, your false self. This voice is never from God. Do you desire that which is truly good, life-giving and transforming? Follow the voice of truth, the voice of the Father. He calls you away from condemnation and fear. He leads you into your true self in fulfilled, in fulfilled relationship with Him. Our Father, we thank You for being with us. We thank you, Daddy, that you love us and you love us always. And I pray for everyone in this room today and everyone watching at home that the love and the presence of God would be near to them in the place and the way in which they need it the most right now. And if you're overcome with fear, know that he is with you. And if you're overcome with shame and condemnation, know that he doesn't do that and it didn't come from him. He loves you, you are his child, and nothing changes that. In his name, amen. Amen.